Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. A quick reminder again before we start, the In Focus podcast is now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castbox and on Stitcher. That's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castbox and on Stitcher. You can find all of the Hindu's podcasts on these platforms. For this one in particular, you can search for In Focus by the Hindu and follow or subscribe to us. And on to today's episode which is on diplomatic affairs and takes in a lot because there's been a lot that's happening. To start with, the Ministry of External Affairs hosted its annual conference called Raisina Dialogue this week. This is a conference that sees hundreds of high-level delegates come into Delhi from all over the world. The conference itself discusses global affairs of course but is also crucial to locating India's place in these various diplomatic relations and India's place in the world really so we'll get a rundown of that conference and the major themes involved a couple of really interesting things have also been reported this week the first is that India will invite Pakistan prime minister Imran Khan to the Shanghai cooperation organization summit that will be held in India later this year This would be the first such invitation extended of course since the Pulwama terror attacks last year following which tensions have been high between both countries so we'll explain what the SCO is and what might happen there the second big story is the possible maiden visit to india of president donald trump of the us that might happen in february so we'll also look into that and as a bonus for this episode suhasni haider our diplomatic affairs editor who is my guest for today also sat down for an interview with former Afghan president Hamid Karzai at Raisina Dialogue. He is going to speak on US-Iran tensions and also give his views about the citizenship amendment bill. Afghanistan of course is one of the countries from which the government wants to give citizenship to persecuted minorities. So that's a lot to get into and here's Suhasini for today's episode. Suhasini, hi, welcome back. Long time, good to have you back with us again. Always a pleasure to be here and happy new year, happy 2020. Same to you, same to you. So, there's actually a, so much to talk about this week, but uh, let's start with this uh, Raisina dialogue conference that uh, you were covering and that you were that you attended. So, let's what's this conference about? How has it grown over the years? Well, to begin with, you know, the Raisina Dialogue is essentially um, uh, the flagship conference that is run by the Ministry of External Affairs itself. So it's very much a Government of India project, which is uh, organized by the Observer Research Foundation. Uh, this was in its fifth year this year, and uh, it has grown in many ways in terms of stature, in terms of uh, you know strength as well. Um, for example, I think this year they had close to. um uh, you know 700 to 1000 delegates from uh, from at least 100 countries uh and they were very uh, uh excited about the fact that they had more than seven or eight uh, foreign ministers from different countries as well who spoke at the Raisina dialogue um uh, of course the big disappointment for them was that uh, the Australian prime minister Scott Morrison who was due to be the keynote speaker you know every year they do have one head of state or head of government at least if not more um he had to cancel because of uh, the the problems of dealing with the uh, fires back home uh, and wasn't able to come 
Um, but uh, but the organizers, of course, believe that they made up more than uh, enough with all the speakers they had. They had also, you know, the foreign minister of Russia who was here at an interesting time because this was when the entire cabinet and the prime minister uh, actually resigned, uh, which means more things. Um, there was a lot of other excitement with the Iranian foreign minister, Javed Zarifia, just not two weeks since the killing of Iranian general Qasem Soleimani by the United States. The U.S. National, uh, Deputy National Security Advisor was here as well as other officials. Um, so there was quite a lot going on, not just in terms of India's bilateral relations uh, with all these countries, but also the international uh, developments as they occurred. So um, do these conferences have a theme? Uh, what was the theme this year? Well, it actually played into the theme of the new century, uh, the new uh, decade, really, uh, and it was called 21 at 20, but really spoke about dealing with the problems of the alpha century. So every year they do have a different theme. Uh, I think this time uh, the idea was very much to speak about the rise of a strong men and strong women in governments around the world and how this was playing into international affairs. Uh, and they did have quite a, a few interesting uh, uh, new uh, sessions on things like street protests, where they brought in foreign ministers and other ministers from countries to talk about how they were dealing with street protests in their countries. Uh, the external affairs minister, S. Jai Shankar, had a fairly extended session, questions and answers about the India way, which is another big theme in the conference. How does India see itself? Uh, in not just as in terms of foreign policy, but in terms of uh, domestic policy as well, uh, where he uh, laid out a fairly uh, comprehensive defense of what he saw as the government's uh, moves over the last few months, which uh, clearly was one of the big topics amongst uh, his discussions with other leaders who had come as well. You know, the protests uh, over the Citizenship Amendment Act, uh, the restrictions in Kashmir, all of that played up. There was the European Union High Representative Joseph Burrell making his um, his uh, debut um, uh, visit as well. Um, and these these were all themes that were brought up. As well as, as I said, the, the balance between the U.S. and Iran in the middle of all these tensions. Right. So I read uh, the news report about Mr. Jayashankar's session. And um, perhaps because it was concise, I think I got the impression that basically he said other countries should introspect before, you know, asking India all these questions. I was just wondering, you know, when you attended the conference, was there any more nuance to that uh, exchange, that kind of interaction that Mr. Jayashankar had with other delegates? I think there's no question that the Ministry of External Affairs has had to grapple with more than its normal share of dealing with domestic policy uh, and explaining it to the world over the last six months. Uh, and that showed up at the Raisina Dialogue this year as well in the interactions as well as the kind of focus with which, um, as you pointed out, the External Affairs Minister defended some of those actions. Now, over the last few weeks, we've heard him really articulating the government's position and almost giving it uh, the sort of most polished spin we've heard so far. Uh, so there was, you know, and, and it's not just spin, it's a real defense of what the government feels it has been trying to do. And um, so if, uh, Ms., uh, if if Dr. Jai Shankar had in the past spoken about the fact um, that, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the Kashmir uh, restrictions were required because of uh, a need to uh, change the paradigm on an old intractable issue. And then a week ago, he had spoken really about the fact that these were the accumulated legacy problems for India, uh, legacy issues, and the idea that India must 
take care of them now rather than pass them on to the next generation is how he described it. Um, uh, we heard him say a little bit about those defenses as well, but here was this defense that he made at the Raisina Dialogue, um, which was that uh, these are essentially national variants. When you talk about problems of terrorism, of separatism, of migration, as he called it, these were essentially national variants of global challenges. Uh, and what he was trying to say was that countries around the world deal with these challenges and they deal with them differently. Uh, and that India should not necessarily be held up to some higher standard, but there should be some uh, introspection amongst countries that are pointing fingers at India to say, what did you do? I think there were some fairly pointed references to what did the U.S. do after the 9-11 attacks and why should India not be able to fight back after terror attacks in India? Uh, similarly, on the issue of immigration, I think he was fairly direct to say, what was the path that European countries, for example, adopted or even the United States when it comes to immigration and dealing with higher numbers of refugees? Uh, and he said India should be, you know, uh, gauged against that rather than some high standard uh, that seems to have been set for India. Finally, what he said was that we will not allow others to define who India is, whether it's a plural democracy or whether it's a market economy or anything else. That is something that we will, as the government, define. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, you and others have written in the weeks leading up to this conference, I think, about how domestic policies have actually taken a toll on India's diplomatic ties. Um, in terms of uh, attendance for this conference, did that play out in any way? Were there any notable absentees, um, anybody who actually pulled out or anything at the last minute? Well, I think they certainly had a wide variety of leaders from around the world, if not the actual um, heads of state or heads of government of any of these countries. Uh, they certainly had a wide variety of uh, foreign ministers, of other ministers, of officials, senior officials. Um, I think there was uh, there were a few countries whom we normally see much more of, whom we saw less of, like Japan and France. Uh, but those could have just been scheduling issues. Um, I think uh, behind the scenes, diplomats will tell you that there are some countries that have perhaps been less critical of India that we saw a larger presence of. Uh, certainly many uh, countries of East Europe who don't have uh, shared the European Union's constant sort of criticism of some of these actions in India um, were there in larger numbers, perhaps, than the, the Western Europeans. Um, but in general, I think, uh, you know, the, the point people have been trying to make is India's goodwill is intact, but its diplomatic capital is being drained very uh, steadily by having to explain these actions. Uh, and I think we saw some of that. I mean, when the external affairs minister really re responded to this comment or when you had, uh, um, I think, uh, one of the, the ruling parties, general secretaries, Mr. Ram Madhav, having to answer questions from the audience about how you are dealing with protests, it meant that some of India's domestic issues um, are uh, leading into foreign policy, both, uh, you know, theoretically and metaphorically, but also very much on the ground there at uh, the Raisina Dialogue. And we did see a lot of that. But of course, the overwhelming um, conversation was about India's particular space in the international sphere, the, the need for India to be a sort of uh, a power player and uh, for it to play even a mediatory role in places. We heard um, certainly from, uh, 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 you know, various officials talking about the fact that um, uh, India should have a, a greater position when it comes to um, uh, when it comes to global challenges. And, uh, and, and then there was a huge focus on India's particular role in climate change issues and, and how to deal with 
uh, the climate change uh, summit that's coming up uh, this year. Um, so I think there was a broad swathe of uh, conversations about India uh, in a, a positive sense in terms of uh, the international position of India and the fact that India is able to pull together this large uh, group of delegates into the Raisina dialogue year after year. But I think there was also that bit about India's domestic situation and how that was playing out into its foreign policy role. Okay. And so two major developments have actually uh, come up this week. Um, perhaps they've actually arisen out of uh, events at the Raisina dialogue. The first is the news that India will invite and uh, will, in, will extend an invitation to uh, Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan for the uh, SCO uh, conference. Uh, firstly, what is the SCO about? Well, the SCO is the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Uh, over the years, actually, it doesn't mean much that it began in Shanghai hmm. uh, as a kind of meeting between China, Russia, and a few countries in between those two countries. Um, uh, and this was way back in 1996. Um, since then, people just use the abbreviation, which is SCO, uh, to describe this group of now eight countries that include most of the Central Asian countries, uh, um, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, China and Russia. Uh, and then it has India and Pakistan as well. There are countries like Afghanistan and Iran that have um, observer uh, status over there. Um, and, and the SEO is, is something that India and Pakistan both joined last year and they have been members of. What makes it particularly interesting is that the SEO includes in it uh, uh, you know, um, exercises amongst the military and certainly counter-terrorism exercises amongst the militaries of the eight countries in the SEO. So in the past, we've had India and Pakistani troops work together on military exercises, but only at that level, even though there are no bilateral ties, even though the, the uh, leaders have not been meeting in the last couple of years when they attend the SEO. This year makes it interesting because we had the SCO Secretary General uh, come to India and 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 speak uh, to his counterparts here and to speak to the External Affairs Minister. After which there was an announcement that India had agreed to host the heads of government um, meeting of the SCO. This is not the heads of state uh, uh, summit, but the heads of government uh, meeting of the SCO, which in some ways is the more powerful one. And um, uh, that would mean that all members of the SCO would be invited to India later this year for this particular conference. Uh, when the Ministry of External Affairs was asked after this was announced at the Raisina Dialogue, whether that meant that Pakistan would be invited, the spokesperson said very clearly, yes, and all, um, all members of the SCO uh, will be sent invitations from the government. Now, the key question is twofold. One, um, whether Mr. Imran Khan will actually attend the conference because he could notionally send uh, a representative like uh, he could send the president, he could send a, a minister in his place. Um, and the second question is, if India and Pakistan are able to come together for a conference in one of their countries uh, for the SCO, which is essentially a Russia-China-led uh, grouping, then um, would Prime Minister Modi accept uh, the invitation that's come from Pakistan for another uh, summit of, this, uh, of the SARC summit, the South Asian uh, uh, Regional Co Conference Summit, which has not been held 
since uh, since 2014. Um, so there are many questions and much speculation that has followed that particular announcement. We are still now, the ball is really very much in uh, Pakistan's court, I think, and everyone's waiting to hear whether we will see uh, the Prime Minister of Pakistan accept this invitation, come to India, whether that means anything more. Right. I think you covered all uh, possible follow-up questions there, Suhasni. So thanks so much for that. And uh, the the second the second thing that uh, has uh, come out of uh, that has um, been reported this week is the possible visit of U.S. President Donald Trump. Uh, that would be his maiden visit to India, and uh, the word is that it could be sometime in February. So was did this come up at all during the conference? And what's the word on that? Well, actually, the announcement and the Hindu was amongst those uh, that first uh, um, uh, announced uh, the possible visit of uh, Pre U.S. President Donald Trump to India came just at the beginning of uh, the Raisina dialogue. And it was certainly expected that we would hear some kind of confirmation. We didn't. But what we did hear was a series of uh, U.S. officials in town and, uh, under, and security and reconnaissance teams have been here as well uh, to begin the process of identifying venues, dates, possible schedules for the U.S. president. Now, what we're being told, and all of this is really still not in the official domain, it has not been formalized or been uh, announced, is that uh, the, the current expectation is that the U.S. president ha uh, would come to India um, in the last week of February, somewhere around February 24th, that this was part of a conversation he and Prime Minister Modi had had around uh, the new year. Of course, uh, Prime Minister Modi had already invited him to uh, to India quite publicly at the Howdy Modi event in Houston last September. And uh, Mr. Trump had accepted that invitation at the time. Uh, it, is, uh, it is, of course, subject also to the U.S. political calendar because the Senate in the United States has now begun a, the process of a trial for impeachment yeah. of President Trump. While uh, that is not expected to end in the impeachment at present, uh, the, just the timetable could derail the dates for this particular visit. But it's very much on the cards. And from what we understand from the officials who visited the Raisina Dialogue, um, they will really try to take forward the relationship, particularly on Indo-Pacific cooperation, on things that were agreed to already in December by the foreign and defense ministers. Right. So almost everything about Trump when it comes to foreign policy is about getting a trade deal. So where are we on that with uh, between the India and the US? Uh, where do things stand on the India-US trade deal? Well, it's interesting because the trade seems to have become the most infractuous part of the relationship when it was never held. I mean, when you look at bilateral trade, which is increasing, it was never held as a problem area. Uh, but the fact that the two sides have not been able to iron out a trade deal and essentially talks have been uh, have not moved forward since November of 2018, more than a year ago, has been of some concern to both sides. Mr. Trump has made it clear that a trade deal with India is something that he would like to forge, especially now that he has the phase one trade deal with China signed. Uh, and he goes into elections later this year, he would like to show in some way that he has uh, been able to uh, manage the uh, the trade relationship with India as well. Uh, remember last year, the US took an extreme step by withdrawing India's GSP exporter status um, and as, a as, as it saw as a kind of punitive action for what it saw as India's anti-trade measures. India has also uh, taken some countermeasures against the US's uh, uh, imposing of tariffs on things like steel. 
there are all the the litany of requests from the US about not buying Iranian oil of buying more US uh, products of not buying Russian defense equipment and all the rest of that that also feeds into this uh, the problems in this trade relationship and finally there are the legal aspects of um, uh, India's uh, uh, laws in the last few years which the US has taken exception to things like price caps on medical equipment medical stents uh, the changes of regulation in e-commerce as well as on data localization, all of which added up to a huge package of trouble between India and the US. Uh, and I think there is a real hope that with the two leaders potentially meeting again, that that becomes the kind of, um, uh, the kind of uh, uh, forum where a new trade deal could be announced. Remember, there had been this expectation back in September as well, when Prime Minister Modi went to the US, it was expected, and the Commerce Minister flew in just the day before the, the official meeting between Mr. Trump and Mr. Modi, so the expectation was high that a trade deal could be announced. It wasn't then. Uh, and we are told by officials, they think they're closer to it now. One of the significant changes is also that the Foreign Secretary designate is the former ambassador to the US, Harsh Shringla. He left the US just this week and is now in India, will take over as Foreign Secretary at the end of January. And he has committed to um, having that trade deal forged pretty quickly. So the expectation remains, uh, Jayant, that there will be a deal and that deal could be announced when, uh, the when the US president comes to India. Okay, that's something we'll keep a track of for sure. So um, I thought I'd keep this question for last Suhasini, uh, and that's that uh, the big international affairs event um, that's dominated headlines over the past couple of weeks is rising uh, tensions between US and Iran. Um, how did that play out at uh, Raisina Dialogue? What were the various things that were said about it? Well, I think the US and Iran tensions played out at practically every session because they have an impact not only on global politics, on the European Union that was uh, trying to salvage some kind of a uh, the, some kind of a deal on the JCPOA, on the nuclear deal with Iran. Uh, however, three European members have now walked out and started to talk about uh, a mechanism that could wind up the JCPOA with Iran. Um, so we, 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 we were seeing the Iran tensions play out. And then, of course, the big player was uh, the Iranian Foreign Minister Javed Zarif, who himself was here. I actually took the question to someone who was uh, was referred to by Prime Minister Modi as a thought leader. You know, the inauguration of the Raisina Dialogue saw several former leaders uh, and prime ministers and presidents come together, which included uh, the Afghan uh, pr uh, former president, Hamid Karzai, Canadian former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, um, we had uh, Helen Clark, the former Prime Minister of New Zealand, uh, and several others. And and essentially, um, uh, each of them were, were asked what they thought the big challenges were, and clearly, this was amongst them. Uh, so I, I, I spoke to uh, uh, former President Karzai about how the U.S.-Iran tensions were going to play out on the region, and particularly on Afghanistan. Um, and uh, uh, given that Afghanistan is now, uh, uh, you know, has U.S. troops facing a kind of drawdown later this year, uh, but it's also a border state with Iran. So it faces a sort of double clinch, if you like, from these tensions. He spoke to me about that. Interestingly, he also spoke to me about how Afghanistan perceives the Citizenship Amendment Act, which in fact allows Afghan minorities uh, uh, who have come into India under religious persecution up till uh, December 2014 
to apply for a fast-track citizenship in India. And he had some interesting comments on that as well. So I'd like you to take a listen in. I wanted to start by asking you your thoughts about the heightened tensions between Iran and the US after the killing of General Qasem Soleimani and what kind of impact you think that will have on Afghanistan and the region? Not a doubt, ma'am. Heightened tensions or further elevation of, uh, of, of uh, the, the already tense situation will have an impact on Afghanistan. We very much wish that our brother and neighbor Iran, as it has in the past, been very wise and cognizant of the fact that the US presence in Afghanistan uh, should not be seen as a threat to them, will continue to see us the same way. And we very much ask the Americans that they should not in any manner do anything that is perceived otherwise by Iran. Do you worry because a lot of Iran's uh, other uh, neighbors who are allies or have close ties with the United States are worried about possible impact of any kind of uh, reprisal from Iran? Worry is there. But while we were worried, we also managed it well. We We wish that that management continues as well. And we wish that there is no escalation uh, of tensions or um, of the thing going to conflict, uh, we, 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 uh, we advise both of um, uh, uh, both countries, our, our, our neighbors and brothers in Iran and the Americans who have a military presence in Afghanistan uh, to uh, conduct things wisely. And in this regard, the Americans should show more wisdom and show it first. Now, here at the Raisina Dialogue, you spoke about the fact that both Iran, but also Pakistan, continue to have the heaviest impact on the future of Afghanistan. Um, Explain that to us, particularly given that the talks with the Taliban have restarted. Are you saying that those talks are contingent on better relations with Pakistan? Well, uh, these are our two most significant neighbors. Uh, Both of them... uh, have welcomed millions of Afghan refugees. Right now we have nearly two million or more in Iran and two million, three million in, in Pakistan. So there's, there's, there, are, there, are, there are hundreds of kilometers of, of, of borders between us uh, and immense exchanges of population and, and, and history and all that. So the impact of these two countries on Afghanistan is, is, is great. Any positive development between the, the two of them and towards us will, will have a positive impact. The peace process is, is, is definitely linked to their, their assistance and goodwill towards us, uh, as it is uh, the other way around. Therefore, yes, they have a lot of impact. On the other hand, you have often accused Pakistan of fomenting terror uh, inside Afghanistan, as India has. Um, do you think Pakistan will will uh, abandon that role? I hope so. It is true that that has been happening. We also recognize that uh, that uh, the Pakistani people themselves have suffered uh, at the hands of terrorism. And we also know that uh, uh, Pakistan's contribution to peace in Afghanistan uh, can have 
immense impact on the actuality of it, on us reaching peace. The Americans and the Pakistanis are the two most important countries with regard to conflict in Afghanistan. You were president when India and Afghanistan signed the first strategic mm -hmm. partnership. Yet today we see uh, that India is not part of the talks and the peace process with the Taliban. Uh, India is, uh, as, as you yourself said, Pakistan and Iran emerge as much more important or impactful uh, neighbors for Afghanistan. And Russia and China. They're also and impactful. India has made it clear also that it, it is not interested to increase its um, military footprint in any way in mm -hmm. Afghanistan mm -hmm. uh, without direct requests from, uh, mm -hmm. from Kabul. So what is the strategic role for India, do you think, in, in Afghanistan? Uh, during my government... Uh, we made a uh, very thoughtful decision that India was going to be our most important friend and ally, and for strategic reasons, and for reasons of history and emotions. And India did what it could, uh, by all means. India was not traditionally a, a donor country. But towards Afghanistan, it, it showed exceptional generosity of uh, eventually sending us over $3 billion of assistance and all that, that we are very grateful for. At the same time, we have seen that India has not been very keen in, uh, in supporting the American-launched peace process or our own Afghan peace process, our meetings in Moscow, our meetings... Uh, 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 twice in Moscow in the Russian initiative. We hoped India would come on board and support that. Russia did a tremendously important thing for Afghanistan. It was a landmark development, a nice-breaking development, uh, the meetings in Moscow. Uh, we, uh, we uh, as Afghans, and this should be a very clear message to our friends and brothers and sisters in India, that uh, India, we hope, will see its interests in a peaceful Afghanistan, uh, not in a, not in, a, in an Afghanistan that's in conflict or um, unstable. All right. Um, you are here at a time when uh, there are protests in India over the Citizenship Amendment Act. Now, amongst other things, it says specifically that uh, Afghanistan along with um, Bangladesh and Pakistan, are countries from where India will accept persecuted minorities. Uh, what is your reaction and how do you see Afghanistan perceiving this? <clears throat> well, uh, that was India's decision. They may have had reasons for uh, uh, that uh, decision and the law that they uh, brought through the parliament. Uh, we don't have uh, prosecuted minorities in Afghanistan. The whole country is prosecuted. We've been in war and conflict and interference and um, aggression for a long time. Uh, all religions in Afghanistan, uh, Muslims and, and Hindus and, and, and Sikhs, these are the three main religions that we have, have suffered. And the feeling in Afghanistan is is very different to what the perceptions uh, here in India may be. When I became the president, 10 days after I arrived in Kabul, an elderly man came to me. I knew him for years. He was a 
principal of a school, and he spent some time with Ibrahim, uh, Sir Malim Sahib, Ibrahim Jan. Oh, really? He came to me, and uh, he was in his nineties uh, then, and uh, he spent some time with me. And then one day he came and stood before me. He said, "Mr. President, I'm going back to Kandahar." I said, "Okay." Um, he said, just now, today. But he said, I have one request. I said, what is that? He said, our Hindus and Sikhs have suffered a lot more than we have suffered. And they deserve a lot more than the, the, the other parts of the population. Uh, bring them back from Pakistan and from India and from wherever they are. And we should all gear up in bringing them back to the properties and orchards and things like that. That's the sentiment of Afghanistan. And I hope uh, that sentiment will be reflected in India as well, with regard to the uh, other Afghan people, uh, Muslims and uh, others. Other um, finally, you go back to Afghanistan and it's still going through this very, mm -hmm. very long mm -hmm. election process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the political future uh, particularly with the elections and uh, the fact that the final results haven't yet been announced. Well, unfortunately, as I predicted, and as I told both Americans and President Rani, that elections will put the country into deeper, deeper trouble, uh, that we needed to focus exclusively on peace, and through peace bring enfranchisement to Afghan people on a larger, larger nationwide scale, and then go for elections. That didn't happen. Now we are in trouble because of the elections because the Afghan people did not turn out. It was actually, to look at it, the reality of it is that the Afghans did a silent referendum by not turning out, telling us that... You think it was a referendum against holding this, elections? This was a referendum against the whole prevalent, uh, prevailing situation in Afghanistan, against the massive suffering of the Afghan people, against the bombardment of the Americans, against the continuing war in the country, against all that is wrong in Afghanistan. The foreign aggression in Afghanistan, the war in Afghanistan, and the suffering of the Afghan people. Having said this, we hope things will be, will be better soon and that the, the people will accept the results of the election, whatever those are, and that the emerging government will be wise enough to, to to um, uh, try and work for legitimacy in, in, in too many different ways by bringing the Afghan people together and making it nationally uh, uh, acceptable and by all of us focusing on, on peace in Afghanistan and uh, reaching that as soon as possible. This brings me again to India, our good friend, our good old friend with whom we have such tremendous sentiments and, 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 and value sharing that uh, India should uh, really look again at Afghanistan and its people. The people who have had so much love for India uh, expect India to be working for peace in Afghanistan and for stability in Afghanistan and that India should see its interest in a peaceful and stable Afghanistan, where families go to, to, to schools, where children educate themselves, where more of them will be sent to India for higher education. 
All right. On that Done? note, I will thank you, uh, President Karzai. Thanks so much for speaking to us at Welcome, the Hindu. Welcome. I'm Sohasini Heather.